Otash, what the heck is this? LAPD banjo. Looks like today is Madame Leoli's day. Freeze! Stand up slowly with your hands over your head, or I'll blow your head off. We stand up, you're just gonna kill us. Welcome to Baron Banjo. This episode's made from the tape-recorded journals of the musicologist, Dr. Asa B. Quickly, the holder of the Henry Rowland Byrd Chair of American Studies at the University of Oxford, the one in Mississippi, of course. At this time, Dr. Q's engaged in a dedicated study of the two men referred to in Southern folklore as Bear and Banjo. In this episode, Bear and Jay Banjo end up in Hollywood. In a bizarre chapter in their tale, Jay Banjo would set out to become a child entertainer and novelty music man. As is sometimes the case with Bear and Banjo, exact dates can be speculative at best. But we do know that sometime in late 1949 or early 1950, after absconding Muncie in a brand new Cadillac and a briefcase filled with $20,000 in mint bills, the boys headed west for the city of Los Angeles, where Banjo had decreed that he had finally found his calling. He would become a children's musician. How he came to this particular decision is a bit of a mystery. Note to self. Look into whether Banjo had any family in the circus or business of vaudeville. This could be relevant. There were some prior clues left behind when he created his bunker at Fort Detrick, Maryland, under the patronage of the Acoustic Weapons Research Wing of the U.S. Army. At Fort Detrick, Jay Banjo had designed, quite improbably, with no background in design, engineering, or patents, an incredible machine that he named the Multisense. It was capable of recreating an entire symphonic arrangement on par with the greatest orchestras in Europe, or R&B as close to what he'd heard in the Delta. Only he hadn't had time to construct his apparatus before the baby dance fiasco. But now free and in Los Angeles with 10,000 bucks burning a hole in his pocket, he would design his machine and create his new children's orchestra. We now flash forward to the unveiling of Banjo's new studio. Bear has been playing session gigs at Central Avenue Jazz Hops and has come by to pay a visit while Banjo shows off his new gizmo. Look at this, Bear. 496 button pushes, and I have an entire song. How about that? I don't know about that, Banjo. I'm more old school. I actually like to play music. Well, I still am in a way, but it's more anticipating the music. Whatever that means. Here, let me show you. Whoa! Right on, Bear. Now check this out. Yeah, okay. Okay, but can it write a song? Mm, not yet, but it can accompany a song. Why, you got one? Yeah, figure that if you're going to be a children's musician and all, you need some kind of title song. I call it me and my banjo. You going to feed it through that machine? If you got words, I will. Playback all sped up. 
That's the point. I'm not just creating music for the kids, but an entire universe where the music exists. Okay. I call it the Squirrels. They're brothers, see? Harry, Barry, and Jerry. Each one will have a different personality. Harry is the responsible one. Barry, well, he's a practical joker. And Jerry, well, he's the wise one. The idea is to make the whole thing seem like a joke. For fun, for the kids, and when nobody's paying attention, I'll hit them with some real songs. Stuff with meaning, like, you know, protest music or something. So you're going to make a novelty record for grown-ups? Kids, grown-ups, for everybody. It's silly, you see, I'm calling it a novelty album. The idea is to use the squirrels to deliver a message. The simpler and more innocent they are, the further I can push it. I'm done doing the devil's work. Done! Now, before we go any further, I suppose I should give all you out there in Radio Land a brief lesson about the history of the so-called novelty song. Here's noted musical historian Noel Diffendorf. These songs were a major staple of Tin Pan Alley from its very beginning and included songs with an unusual gimmick such as the stuttering and kick-a-k-katie or the playful boop-boop-a-doops of I Want to Be Loved by You, which made a star out of Helen Kane, after all, and inspired the creation of Betty Boop. Silly lyrics like, yes, we have no bananas. Playful songs with a bit of a double entendre, such as don't put a tax on all the beautiful girls. And invocations of foreign lands with emphasis on general feel of exoticism, rather than geographic or anthropological accuracy, such as Oh by Jingo, The Sheik of Araby, and the, the Yodeling Chinaman. And the opus of the genre was How Much Is That Doggy in the Window, which became notable both for its extensive airplay and the backlash from listeners who found it increasingly annoying. Needless to say, for as long as there's been recorded music, and probably before, people have been getting rich recording really stupid songs. Fittingly, Jay Banjo wanted to take this notion and up the ante considerably. I am now six months into exploring the contents of this so-called box of secrets, delivered to me that auspicious day. While we have uncovered all manner of connections between J. Banjo and various components of the intelligence apparatus and organized crime, I have come to what I believe is finally the end of this box. The files pertain to his time in and around Los Angeles in 1949 through 1952, while under the guise of creating the next great novelty-slash-children's opus. But Banjo was nothing if not a bundle of contradictions, and it seems he couldn't go 100% straight. By night, he toiled on the album. But by day, he worked for a rather sinister-sounding outfit known as Hollywood Research Incorporated, bugging the rooms and tapping the phones of celebrities and politicians for the leading scandal sheet of the day, Confidential. Banjo seemed to have zero moral qualms with his role in compromising and blackmailing these stars. The bulk of the file from this period is made up of recordings of the many jobs he did for the company, which he kept for his own personal use. It was in this capacity that all the various strands of his past come together. The results, I must say, are quite alarming and led Banjo right up to the precipice in both his sanity and, frankly, his safety. But Banjo is nothing if not a perfectionist. And while what he was doing may have been morally reprehensible, he was going to do it to the best of his ability. For the purpose of archiving these tapes, and perhaps for his own safety due to the sensitive nature of the recordings, they are well marked with dates, names, and content. Let us start with a tape I discovered labeled 
June 23, 1951, office. It seems he'd bugged the interior of Hollywood Research Incorporated in case they ever decided to turn on him. We tune into a conversation already in progress involving the illegal wiretapping of an infamous Hollywood madam. So let me get this straight, Mr. Harrison. You want me and Freddie Otash to break into Madame Leoli's house, bug the bedroom, and wiretap her phone? Now, Robert Harrison was an American journalist and publisher, known internationally for sensational news stories. He worked for the New York Evening Graphic, the Motion Picture Herald, and was publisher of Confidential Magazine. Hollywood was a paranoid time in the 1950s, and many journalists traded in information as a form of currency. With the right piece of dirt, you could fetch a pretty penny and essentially end an A-list actor's career. Yellow journalism was at an all-time high, and Robert was as yellow as they came. Yeah, and I want somebody manning the listening post seven days a week. I'll be giving the transcripts to Mr. Hoover himself. You know me and Hoover have some history I'd really rather not. The man simply frightens me. Well, he asked for you personally, kid. He knows you. He knows your work. He knows the stunt you pulled with the army in Muncie, and he intends to squeeze you until he gets what he wants. Well, I've made my bed with that one. Guess I have to lie in it. <laughs> well, let's hope for your sake you get people lying in Madame Leoli's bed. <laughs> Hoover wants them all. You hear me? Studio heads. Politicians. Mainly, though, he wants LAPD brass. He tells me Madame Leoli is protected from on high. She's connected with Johnny Rosselli. He pays off the vice squad 30 large on the first of every month to look the other way. He wants all of this. And he's going to leak it to the L.A. Times. Jesus Christ, this just sounds like trouble. It sure does. Now the rest of the tapes we keep for the magazine. This should provide us with cover stories for at least a year. After this, I'm out. Ha! You've been saying that for two years. And you keep coming back. I don't exactly have a choice. You and Mr. Hoover keep threatening that you'll hand me over to the army. I mean it. If I don't end up in a ditch with an LAPD bullet in my head when this is done, I'm out. I'm done. Oh, really? What are you going to go do, huh? Work on your album, which none of us have ever heard and nobody is ever going to listen to? Listen, you've got a gift, Banjo. And it ain't as an artist. You, son, are in the life. You love the life. And you just happen to be a whiz with bugs. You could be set up for life here. Or I could end up in a chalk outline. Well, nothing comes for free. Listen, if you really are serious, I'll talk to Mr. Hoover. Maybe we can arrange a sabbatical for you. <laughs> I'm serious, Mr. Harrison. I'm done. We'll see, Banjo. We'll see. Now, to everyone's absolute surprise, except Banjo, that is, the Squirrel's first recording of Me and My Banjo was an absolute smash hit. His sped-up recording technique that created the distinctive high-pitched vocals of the Squirrel's was like catnip to the booming kids market who later grow up to become the rock and roll generation and usher in a new era of music. But for now, they wanted to laugh, and the squirrels, despite its high-minded aspirations, seemed to foot that bill. This all came to a head on the morning of February 18, 1953. The squirrels were climbing the singles chart and it caught the attention of television producers from the NBC Corporation, who were looking to create children's programming. TV was in its infancy, but growing fast. A new show was being created called Captain Ted's Funhouse that combined live puppets, musical performance, comedy, and cartoons. Hello? 
Like it! Who loves Captain Ted? <laughs> well, I love all you too! It was broadcast live on Saturday mornings from Los Angeles. It was an immediate hit and grew to become the most popular children's show of its time. Captain Ted and his producers had heard Banjo's single and saw great possibility in the squirrels. They wanted live performances a cartoon, and the creation of consumer products line. Captain Ted was a degenerate gambler whose on-stage persona belied an ogre of a man. With large appetites for women, alcohol, and Dilaudid, which he'd inject before he performed. Let's take a listen to the squirrel dress rehearsal. To say things didn't go as planned would be putting it mildly. Okay, let's rehearse this. I don't got all day. Come on. Hey, kids! Are you ready to laugh? Oh, Captain Ted can't hear you, kiddos. I said, are you ready to laugh? Well, that's better, kids. I thought so. Welcome to the Fun House. We have a great show today. Tommy and Tony, our puppet friends, are here. Plus, we have Kooky the Clown with some magic. Then, a very special guest, kids. All the way from the forest, performing with his friends, Mr. Banjo and the Squirrels. In fact, They've come all this way. So what do you say we hear a song right now? God damn it, I can't see a goddamn thing out of this costume. Whoopsie daisy, kids. Looks like our squirrel friends are having some technical difficulties. We're going to drop the curtain real fast just to make sure they're okay. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Banjo, what are you, a goddamn amateur? Sorry, Ted. I can't see out of this, much less hold the guitar. I think I cut my lip falling on the cymbal. I'm bleeding, man. Hey, Jerry, bring me a cigarette, please. You want one, Banjo? Nah, I'm fine. Oh, are you, Banjo? Are you fine? Because it seems to me like you're an imbecile who can't hit a goddamn mark to save his life. This is the sixth goddamn take. And if you're going to screw up on my stage, do me a favor, huh? Don't curse in front of the kids. This is a live goddamn show. You swear like that when we're live, I'll lose my Ovaltine sponsorship. You want me to lose Ovaltine, you moron? Huh? Look, take it again from the top. No more mistakes. I want to get out of here by noon. I got a date with some twins. You catch my drift? All right, Ted. (sighs) This is show business, right? Have some fun. You do right by us. We'll have you on every Saturday. We'll give you a show, just like Captain Ted. And you'll be up to your neck in strange, I promise you. So, look, here, take this pill. This will help you focus. Then I want you to take a few minutes to get your crap together. Then get out there and perform. You know how to do that, don't you? Uh, Of course, Ted. Good. Now get out there and play your stupid kid song so I can get out of here. All right, Ted. All right. Mr. Bear had accompanied his friend Jay Banjo for moral support. 
and was watching from the wings with alarm as he saw his dear friend growing more and more desperate. He seized the stage and Captain Ted for what they were, and it refuted everything he knew and loved about music. He had to say something. Maybe this isn't for you, Banjo. I don't know, man. I can make this work. There's a $50,000 deal riding on this performance. I do this, and I'm set. And then what? You gonna just play music in a squirrel suit for the rest of your life? You look like an idiot. This isn't gonna make you, man. This is gonna ruin you. And do you want this Captain Ted in your life for the next 10 years? You gotta choose. I won't be able to stand by you if this is how you wanna go. I can't watch you humiliate yourself. We've been at this a long time, and I can't believe this is what you really want. The more Bear spoke, the more Banjo realized he was correct. All of this, from the squirrel suit to the being constantly harangued and humiliated by Captain Ted, were grinding him down. At that moment, like so many other times in the past, Banjo knew it was time to fold his tent. With the trunk of their Cadillac filled with assorted tape recordings from his time with the Hollywood Research Incorporated, a question remains. Why did he vanish like a thief in the night? Sure, he had his principles, but many believe there were darker forces at play. The tape from his Hollywood research files labeled January 30th, 1951. Madame Leoli, LAPD, Evidence, tells more of the story. We first hear the voice of Banjo, followed by a tape conversation between himself and the LAPD. This is Jay Banjo speaking. Today is January 30th, 1951. I have reason to believe my life is in danger based on the work I was conducting for Hollywood Research Incorporated, an arm of Confidential Magazine and Robert Harrison. These recordings were made at the behest of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, who was blackmailing me into conducting electronic surveillance on noted celebrities, politicians, and high-ranking members of the LAPD. He wished for me to bug the home of Madame Leoli, hoping for instances of malfeasance on the part of LAPD who sought to silence Madame Leoli for her part in a massive prostitution ring and the evidence she held. I maintain possession of many of these tapes which are being held in my stead by my partner in case my life is further threatened. I will release these tapes to members of the media. The following occurred just a few days prior and shows the extent to which my life and that of Madame Leoli are in imminent danger. Now here's Robert Harrison, publisher of Confidential, reading a teaser. Oftentimes, he could invoke fear into Hollywood by dropping information before it was ever confirmed to the public. It's not confidential unless we report it. Robert Harrison here, folks. Your assassin for the truth and publisher of America's most popular news weekly, Confidential. The only place where you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. In this week's issue, hot off the presses and on the QT, we have a doozy. Derelict actor of the Demimond, Dirty James Dean, done wrong. Having had himself a reefer party with his beatnik buddies. Speaking of hopheads, our spies report Robert Mitchum and his bongo-playing commie clowns created a scene of godless Gamora. The movie Tough Guy, also high on reefer, stripped naked and covered himself in ketchup, announcing... It's a costume party, and I'm a hamburger. Who wants to take a bite? And finally, she's a madam to the stars, and sex is always on the menu. Madame Leoli's arrest by the FBI has top LAPD brass squirming and studio heads crying in their pillows. 
Will she spill the beans or will they spill her blood first? The whole town is talking, so get it while it's hot. Off the presses, on the down low, and strictly on the QT. Confidential, we know you want to know. Testing, 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 please. Works, Daddy-o. Sound is clean? Mm-hmm, yep. Are you sure I don't want to have to come back here again? If I said it works, it works, Banjo. Jesus Christ, why are you so nervous anyway? Did you hear that teaser from Confidential on the radio? Madame Leoli is going down and I don't want to be around when they find her. Good thing we're inside her apartment installing a bug. Exactly. This feels bad. Really, really bad. What the heck was that? I don't know. Let's get out of here. Back door. Otash, what the heck is this? LAPD banjo. Looks like today is Madame Leoli's day. Freeze! Stand up slowly with your hands over your head, or I'll blow your head off. We stand up, you're just gonna kill us. Is that you, Otash? Fred Otash was a Los Angeles police officer, private investigator, author, and a World War II Marine veteran who became known as a Hollywood fixer while operating as its most infamous private detective. He's most remembered as the inspiration for Jack Nicholson's character, Jake Giddies, in the film Chinatown. Okay, now let's get on with it. Yeah, it's me. Banjo's around here, too, somewhere. Well, stand up. We got reports of two suspicious men entering the domicile of Miss Leole. And you thought the best way to investigate was to spray this place with bullets. We thought you were the feds. Well, we're not the feds, so put your guns down. Figures you two are here together. Who are you shaking down this time? Us or Madame Leoli? Put the gun down and maybe I'll tell you. All right, take it easy. Boys, lower your weapons. Mr. Banjo here is going to tell us a story. Let's hear it, Banjo. If it's good, maybe we won't kill you and Freddy. Look, man, we got sent here for confidential. We're part of that new team that Robert Harrison is putting together. Yeah? What do you guys call yourselves? Hollywood Research Incorporated? Only research you guys are doing is how to bug a rotary dial phone. We got this whole place bugged. Say hello to the listening post, officer. You couldn't have done it that fast. Are you willing to risk that? The little show you boys just put on, no warrant, spraying bullets, threatening to kill us? That's good for what, five years? More like ten, Banjo. He knows the law better than I do, but we're gonna walk out of here now with our hands up. If a bullet mysteriously finds its way into the back of my head, everything that's been recorded goes directly to J. Edgar Hoover and the Times. What a peek into a very mysterious and often covered up part of Hollywood's dark history. It also suggests that perhaps Jay Banjo's splitting town wasn't just due to his children's career implosion. Banjo is a man of many faces, and his present situation was a tense vice grip that was going to make him pop from the pressure if he didn't let the air out. L.A. would not be the final destination for Bear or Jay Banjo on their quest for musical legitimacy or riches. L.A. has always been a town where you play the game or the game plays you. And for many, L.A. is just a place to pass through and kill time on your way to your final destination. Now 
the squirrels would be no more, and Baron Banjo would set off to their next chapter in musical destination. Footnote to this story is that a few years later, Alvin and the Chipmunks appeared on the scene. Created by Ross Bagdasarian Sr. for a novelty record, the group was very reminiscent of Jay Banjo's invention. Except Ross's idea spawned a billion-dollar record, film, TV, and toy empire, while Banjo's landed in the junk pile of history. Funny enough, Ross Bagdasarian Sr. was the studio engineer for Jay Banjo in his Hollywood days. Well, how about time? Miles Davis used to say, time isn't the main thing, it's the only thing. And from now, Jay Banjo's timing was slightly off. So much like all the other incredulous incidents of the past, we have yet another notch on Jay Banjo's belt, adding children's entertainment pioneer to his resume. Later this season, the boys marry sister Rosetta Tharp in the first public rock and roll wedding. They uncover a secret love affair between Baron, the only woman he ever loved, and later have their souls snatched out of their body by an evil music mogul. Tonight's episode was written by Jimmy Jellin, story by Jingle Jerry. Baron of Banjo was created, executive produced, and directed by Jingle Jerry. Executive produced by Dennis Quaid, T-Bone Burnett, and Jason Pooh Bear Boyd. With original music by Jason Pooh Bear Boyd and Jingle Jared, it's Baron of Banjo and T-Bone Burnett with lyrical contributions from Bob Dylan. All music from Baron Banjo is produced by T-Bone Burnett and all episodes edited by David Gould. Additional score by Jeff Peters and Jeff Judy. Story editing by Connor Ratliff and associate produced by Emily Bolka. Produced by Tom Piazza, Noah Brown, Brian Walland, Jesse Corwin, and Dan DeMoe. Co-produced by Rosanna Arquette. For episode music, please visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever one finds good music. Baron of Banjo is a production of Jingle Punks in partnership with iHeartRadio. Special thanks to John Ingrazia of Vector Management and Gary Morella of Mono Music. Krista Lenny from Maiden Creative, Gail Truberman, Connell Byrne, and the entire iHeart team. An extra special thanks to Sue Turner for being Baron Banjo's head of tour security. For a full list of production credits, behind-the-scenes footage, and source material, please visit baronbanjo.com. Jingle Punks is an anthem 